Hello, welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, I will talk about, talk a little bit about The Unpleasant Profession of Jonathan Hogue, which was published originally in October of 1942 in Unknown Worlds. I don't know exactly when it was written. Of course, Heinlein went to do some weird kind of government work during the war, kind of, I think it was with other group of science fiction writers sort of innovating you know projects for the you know potential war effort or whatever and nothing really came of it you can read astounding by by navala lee his book about heinlein and asimov and those those people he talked a little bit about that i haven't read a full biography of heinlein except for for navala lee's book but it seems not much came of that um so but we don't get any science fiction from that from that period either but from from heinlein um, instead, we have a, a huge gap, um, about five years, four or five year gap in, in publication. But what we have in 1942 are like remnant works. I think these were things that were written before and, you know, just the way publication works. It took a while to come out. So this is, I think, a pretty lesser journal. It's not astounding. He wrote this under the name John Riverside. He didn't write it under Robert A. Heinlein. Um, but nevertheless, this is a good story. This is uh, like a, I think it's a major story of his. I, I I do think it it deserves its place in like the the Heinlein canon. Unlike some of the other works in this 1942 set, we're gonna look at this. I, I like Goldfish Bowl, and I like this one. I'm not sure about the others. The others, uh, you know, I think are a little more forgettable. Waldo is is magic stuff. It, it kind of goes with magic ink, but. Um, which, which I didn't have much to say about either. Um, but that, that's looking ahead. Uh, this story, um, first of all, like this is the kind of story you're reading. There's been a few like this where you read it and like, wow, this would, this could be a Philip K. Dick story. It, it, it almost works like a Philip K. Dick story. Like in the fact that it's like pure fantasy, like Philip K. Dick's science fiction is pretty much fantasy in most cases like he doesn't care about much technology he doesn't put any thought at all into how technology works he doesn't put much thought into into like realism he's just interested in like the ideas he's like a pure ideas guy and Heinlein's not Heinlein does care about social structures and you know making them work we saw that in like beyond this horizon where there's a lot of thought into like how economics works how technology works and Philip Dick doesn't have that, obviously, right? He's still awesome. He's amazing. But uh, this is really him not really caring about, like, plausibility and really exploring, like, ideas. And, you know, it's in a, it's not in Astounding. I think that's relevant. I don't think this could have been published in Astounding because it's so much of a bizarre ideas story. And I think it's to Heinlein's credit that he's able to kind of write these stories that that go beyond his you know go beyond what he was known for in you know in the anson mcdonald robert a heinlein you know future history stories are being published and astounding at the time 
Now, like other Heinlein stories from this period, it's very long. Um, I kind of complained about this before, where like half of these stories are like almost as long as a Phil Dick novel, right? Right, and they're they're basically novel length. I mean, there are novels that are shorter than some of these stories that that get published as straight up novels. And I guess you know we have novellas, and, and that's just a novellas, no, novelettas, or novels. It's, it's just how it's published, right? Right. Of Mice and Men is a novel, even though like it's probably shorter than this. So that's just uh, like how publishers work and think about these things. It's not a rule, really. This this is basically kind of a short novel. And and it's a bit annoying that, that these stories are so long um, because you kind of want to get to the ideas. This is the thing I actually appreciate about Dick and compared to Heinlein is Dick was much quicker at getting to the point here. But boy, the point in this story is really, really good. It's, it's kind of amazing. So I'm just kind of, kind of uh, speed through it because because it is so lengthy. I think it, like the audiobook version of this was like four hours. Um, yeah, it's long. It's a, it's a short novel. At the very least, a novella. Um, all right, what happens here? So we're introduced to this guy, Jonathan Hogue. He's going to the doctor and he wants to understand like what's up with him and he's got like this red stuff under his nails and he's trying to get a diagnosis and he and he comes out frustrated so he eventually goes to a uh a, a, a rather interesting private detective firm which is like a, a husband and wife team randall and craig is the name of the team now it, it kind of they kind of sell themselves as two men randall and craig it's actually ted and cynthia randall who are the the, the couple that's that doing this and, and that's running this company. So again, Heinlein being quite feminist here, presenting women as, as capable, as professionals, as equals of men, literally here. I, I think it's that's an important to point out because, you know, once in a while Heinlein gets some crap about, you know, on Twitter, on the internet for being a bit sexist or whatever. And I think that's because he, he, he likes his sexy nudist ladies. Um, but they're always equal in almost every story. They're, and if they're not, it's like they're forced to be that way. He does like his capable, competent women. And I, I don't think that, that should be, that's not sexist. Yeah, he has issues, but that, that's not it. I think egalitarianism is not where his problems lie. I think whether it's about race uh, or, or gender, he's essentially an egalitarian in respect to those things. Um, Beyond that, yeah, I think there, there's there's issues with him to to maybe th discuss and think about, but there, you know, I I think these days he'd be an ally of of the left essentially these days if he was born now. Um, he'd certainly be for trans rights. He'd be for racial equality, be for gender equality. So he'd definitely be on the woke side of things today. But I, but I think he'd even be an economic kind of. Uh, progressive in, in many ways. We, we see enough evidence of that in his work now. And I, and I think, just think the times were so different. If you think of him as a, you know, put him in this historical context, he was actually pretty radical. And I think given, if he was in our context, I think he would be, he'd probably be a socialist. I, I think he would. And he'd be a very woke one. But I'm getting off topic here. So Ho goes to him 
and says like, um, like just follow me and tell me what my job is because I don't really f- fucking know what my job is and and I'm going to pay you five hundred dollars. So it's like what are, like money in his pocket, which is a lot of money in those days. He says just tell me what my job is, follow me or whatever. And they and they do this. And then there's all these kinds of um back and forth and mysteries and 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 roads they go down. It does become sort of a a, a detective story for a while. It's quite kind of cool in that way it does for a long time you, you think you're just in this kind of in a in a continental op story almost right but those usually have a murder or something but you know it's you're, you're following these detectives as they're trying to solve a mystery and they get kind of deeper and deeper and in they get becomes personal and and all that it, it's good stuff with the 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 dive into the the mystery of it all and then there's like Cynthia is doing things kind of behind Randall's Ted Ted Randall's back, and there's some kind of drama there too, where she's really capable and independent in how she 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 pursues her her uh, side of the business. So I re- I really like all that too. Um, I think that's a that's a fun part of the story. He, they you know there's a weird weird mysteries here where there's like encounters that that. Cynthia describes that don't seem to take place. They go to buildings that don't have like a 13th floor and you know they, they they follow various leads that seem to answer things and they don't get there. There's dreams involved where our character Ted is taken like weird places. So there's a lot of story. Now this could have all been cut. It could have been a lot more of a straightforward story and, and obviously if Philip Dick had written a story like this it would have been he would have gotten there quicker. He wouldn't have spent so much time bouncing around with the... He probably would have spent more time in Jonathan Hogue's mind, honestly, than he would have... Because most of this story is actually in the heads of the private detectives. Jonathan Hogue is is sidelined too much of the story. But that's fine. It works. I, I actually like that aspect of it. I think it's a really fun story. Now, the dream stuff becomes kind of important. Um, where... Ted has these dreams where he's taken into like these corporate offices and he's basically shied away from this whole investigation, which is, is again, very private detective right? Where someone's like, you stop digging into this or there's going to be trouble. That's that's kind of the conversation they have. Um, and they're dressed in business suits or whatever. And then they say they're the sons of the bird. Um, and that Hogue is their, their enemy. And you got to like lay off because this is our business to, to deal with. And apparently they're communicating with him. Um, now, the way the story eventually ends up is um, is basically Hogue reaches out to them. Now, there's been times before where they've met Hogue, but it's not the real Hogue. Hogue uh, reveals that these are all sort of decoys. And actually much of what they've experienced, including the dreams, has been kind of implanted in them by the sons of the bird which is um, tied to to kind of the bigger story. Um, it's not it's not entirely clear to me what they actually are supposed to be, but it, in a sense it doesn't matter because there's a whole external reality here, and this, that's why I think this is the Phil Dick novel uh, in a lot of ways, or it could have been. Is it's all about how the the reality we see is not not the real reality they're, they're, we're just living in on the surface of, of a deeper reality 
I guess Lovecraft. Why am I why am I always reviewing these writers that are into that? Because I'm such a materialist and 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 a utilitarian. All these things. I'm not that spiritual, but like these authors I dig are ones that like I always see some deeper reality that are just under the surface. I don't know. I thought Heinlein would give me a little more maybe a little more like hardcore hard science kind of approach but but we still get stories like this it's good stuff all right where am i at so they eventually hogue eventually meets down with them and they he just sort of there's just exposition where to explain that's maybe not the best part of the story maybe it would have been nicer if ted and cynthia could figure it out for themselves but he says here's the deal the deal is i'm an art critic and this whole world is a work of art. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like, I was surprised when I'm like, wow, that is not where I expected this to go. He says, I am an art critic. This whole world is a work of art. And to cri criticize it, I have to basically be an, an NPC in this world. I can't be conscious that I'm an art critic because I have to experience everything that world creates. So... Everything we take for granted as essential human experiences, whether it's like eating or fucking or, you know, or love are creations of the artistic experience. All right. So for that, I had to be kind of in, made into an NPC to experience those things for myself. And then I can kind of come out of that and be made an active player and then I can reflect on it and, and write about the artistic experience, right? Now, of course, that's really cool. That's kind of amazing. But the shocking thing, of course, is that our world is just a work of art created by some artist, right? And that's who the sons of the bird are. So the sons of the bird are like the creators. They're the artists. And, and Hogue's somehow lesser than that because he's not capable of creating. He's just capable of, of sort of observing. But um, but that also accounts for all the bizarre things happening to Cynthia and Ted throughout their days is that our reality is constantly being like revised and updated as like parts are painted over or, or you know, that's the metaphor of painting, but parts are painted over or wiped over and and redone. So, I mean, the symbol here is the, the paint under his fingers. I just thought it was blood or something, right? Now, it, now, to go back to Philip Dick, I mean, there's a story that's sort of, I think, inspired by this idea, and that is the Adjustment Bureau story. Or Adjustment, I forget what, there's a story in the movie, they have different names, but whatever it is, Adjustment Bureau, where you have people constantly remaking reality in order to avoid a nuclear war that's the thing there or, or if you think of like the movie dark city there it's it's closer to this story where the world's constantly being remade in subtle ways for like scientific experiments of like the human experience or, or whatever but i mean this this story this idea has been done before it's really being done well here because it's, it's like celebrating art but that we're just an expression of the mind of an artist, I think, and that we can explain all the 
oddities and weirdness in our world and the things that don't make sense or the things that uh, the deja vu or the the Mandela effect or whatever weird thing that we experience, you know, in our minds as, as the artist reworking it. That, I mean, that's really a Philip Dick idea. It's, it's really, I know I've been talking a lot about Philip Dick in this podcast because I did a whole series on him and he's on my mind all the time. But in this story, I'm absolutely right. Like this is exactly the kind of thing Dick did write, not just that he would. I mean, he wrote stories like this, but this was almost better in a way it's just too long it just drags on forever and it didn't have to be that long i think it could have been a lot more concise as a story but what's here is, is it's kind of amazing it's, it's really really well done i i had a lot of fun with this so i'm not going to say too much more about it but i i think this is a wonderful story and i think it's one of his better early stories to be honest um although it it's it's not part of the future history. It's not part of, of, it's not an Anson McDonald story, which is, I mean, it's, those stories are like Heinlein stories that are not part of the future history. Written astounding. It's really different. It's a fantasy story ultimately. And, and I kind of like Heinlein doing the fantasy thing. I mean, Dick could, He's, he doesn't care if he's in science fiction or fantasy. He just writes his stories, right? And I think Heinlein does care when he steps across to, to, to fantasy. He's conscious of that. But when he does it, he does it quite well. And, and I think this is, a, this is a really good story. So kind of a horrifying, shocking kind of conclusion, actually. A lot of great stuff to love in, in, in the unpleasant profession of Jonathan Hogue. Um, not that unpleasant in the end. Being an art critic seems like a great job. I, I think that's uh, wonderful for him. It's just he can't know what he's doing. So he, he ends up being manipulated by these creators all the time. And he and and he can't explain it. So he has to like kind of have a nervous breakdown. Too bad. But eventually he's brought out of his NPC mode. Made fully conscious of experiences, and 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 he can explain it. Maybe that, that's a weakness of the story is that it has to be sort of all come from exposition at the end. But it's fine. It's such a good idea. It's really good. So I recommend uh, the unpleasant profession of Jonathan Hogg. Um, please read it if you get the chance. Um, next up, I think I'm going to do uh, my object all sublime next, which is actually in Future Magazine. It's Lyle Monroe. Uh, February 1942. Um, we have Waldo and Pied Piper. If I can, I think I don't have the text for Pied Piper. There's really no audio version of it. So I think I have to dig around to find those. But um, yeah, at least two stories. If I can't do Pied Piper, that's okay. I don't think anyone's going to miss that. But um, yeah, and then that will finally end our pre World War II. Period. We can start getting to the juveniles. I'm really excited to do that. It's, I mean, this whole podcast is going to be a lot smoother in a few episodes when we can start kind of, it's going to be like one novel and maybe one or two short stories per year. And we can just kind of, you know, get through the juveniles and then start getting to like the later Heinlein stuff. I'm excited for all that, um, but a little more work to do before we get there. So anyways, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.